Hello, and welcome to Burn Your Draft, the podcast exploring the Reed College senior thesis and experience. I'm the show's producer, Albert Krellis, and today you'll be hearing host Amelie Andreas talking with philosophy major and class of 22 grad Luis DiPicciotto about her thesis on Aristotle and restorative justice. Let's hear it, Luis. Hi, my name is Luis DiPicciotto. I am a philosophy major from Northern California, outside of Reading. And my title to my thesis is An Aristotelian Argument for Restorative Justice, How We Can Use Forgiveness Instead of Punitive Punishment to Heal from Wrongdoings, which is kind of a mouthful. But I love it, though. I love how it's taking like <laughs> this idea that's been on a lot of people's minds lately of restorative justice mm-hmm. and then like saying, OK, you know, we have the building blocks for this thousands of years ago in ancient Greece. How did that end up manifesting itself in your thesis? Was Aristotle pro-restorative justice before we even came up with restorative justice? How did that all come together? (laughs) Well, so I wouldn't call him pro-restorative justice, but (laughs) I do think we can use, I used his virtues. I wanted to write about his virtues, Mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. And he talked a lot about anger and like good temper as a virtue. Mm -hmm. And I connected good temper to restorative justice. I think it's a very big part of restorative justice, Mm -hmm. having good temper, being angry at the right things Mm -hmm. at the right time, and also Mm -hmm. knowing when to let that go. I originally wanted to just write about forgiveness Mm -hmm. because... I thought that that was like a really good counterpart to good temper Mm -hmm. when people become too angry. Oh, then I got really into restorative justice over the past summer. Mm -hmm. So I, it just suddenly I was just writing about restorative justice and that was most of my thesis. Yeah. That's a really good way to connect the dots together. You mentioned what started you off on this journey was you wanted to write about Aristotle's virtues. Yeah. What got you interested in that or got you interested in philosophy in general? I guess what got me interested in philosophy. I can't actually really say exactly. I just, I just, I took a philosophy class my freshman year Mm -hmm. and I really liked it. Mm -hmm. I liked it better than my science classes I was taking. I came in here and thought I wanted to be like a STEM person. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I ended up really liking the class. And then I just, I don't know, I just decided I liked the major as well because it was so flexible. Mm -hmm. The requirements were like, I could pretty much take whatever sort of classes I wanted, as long as I did the four major philosophy groups, basically. Mm -hmm. So I really liked that. Mm -hmm. Meg Sharley was my thesis advisor, and I took her ancient philosophy class Mm -hmm. a few years ago, I think. And I really loved it. Mm -hmm. It was like the best class I ever took. And she's like the Aristotle person in the philosophy department. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. She was so inspiring. Like, bright and like cheerful and like really loved and yeah. passionate about what she was teaching. So it made me really passionate about it. Mm-hmm. She was also the only woman in the philosophy department. And yeah, that helps. <laughs> yeah. Philosophy is a very male dominated major. And mm-hmm. so I, I really, I don't know. I thought she really inspired me. She still really inspires me. I was like, I need Meg to be my thesis advisor mm-hmm. and I like ancient philosophy. So it just seemed natural for me to find something to do with Aristotle. Yeah, no, sometimes that really is the most important part of choosing which direction to go on your thesis is knowing that you'll have the right people behind your back and really making use of the the resources that we have with professors at Reed because there's so many people who have such a depth of knowledge about whatever their specialization is. Yeah, for sure. 
What did your process look like when you were going through this thesis? Was it a lot of time in the library, a lot of time wandering around, contemplating? <laughs> Walk me through it. I actually, I never work in the library. <laughs> I love working at home. Oh, yeah. Yes. But I would say the big part of my process was I tried to sit down and write an hour every day, mm. even if it was just me rambling forever on my Google Doc that I had. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to just sit down and just write stuff, oh, yeah. even if it's for like 30 minutes, 30 mm-hmm. minutes to an hour every single day. So you're not ending up cramming. Mm-hmm. That's really important. And also I occasionally, like I did talk to friends and stuff. I think my thesis is pretty accessible to a lot mm-hmm. of people. Like I can talk about it with people without them being like, my eyes oh my God, glazing over. And- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like sometimes you read biology thesis titles and you're like, I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I talked a lot with friends and like some family about it. But yeah, just sitting down and making sure to just work on it, you know, every day is really important to the process for me. Getting words on the page, very key to writing a thesis. Yeah. Did you acquire or or strengthen any skills while you were working on this? Maybe like some ones that you weren't expecting? Yeah. Okay. I think one of the big ones is I hate criticism. Oh, it's (laughs) hard. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I'm perfect by any means. Mm -hmm. Not at all. But I feel like people, whenever they criticize something that I'm working on, I'm like, oh my God, it's awful. You hate it. You Mm -hmm. hate me, you know? So I, I got really good at that just from having these meetings every week oh yeah Meg would basically I mean not tear apart but like also kind of tear apart everything I wrote and was like "Mm, yeah you need to like (laughs) work on this and like this is just not Mm. right so that was really good for me to have improved that was like I think one of my major Achilles heels at like read. Oh yeah. It's just, I, I hated reading, having feedback. So I really improved in that way. We're working on my thesis. Yeah. Oh, I feel like it's such an underappreciated skill though. It is like really emotionally difficult. So many people are wonderful at, at giving, you know, criticism that is very important to hear, but it's also an important skill to deliver it in a way that is <laughs> kind and, yeah. and, and actually helping someone, you know, build towards yeah. a, a, a better product at the end of the day. So being able to like take criticism, no matter how it's delivered yeah, and like use that to make yourself like, and your, your work better is like such an impressive skill. <laughs> yeah, I agree. What kind of like unexpected challenges did you encounter while you were working on the thesis? I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I guess this is part of Mm -hmm. the process of writing the thesis, but one of the big challenges was I had this professor on my orals board who Mm -hmm. I knew was just very harsh. (laughs) Yeah. Like like very, very, honestly, very mean. Um, (laughs) He was actually the first professor that I took a philosophy class with. Oh, wow. (laughs) He just, oh my God, knows how to give it to you, but like not in the right ways. Mm -hmm. So I had to mentally prepare myself for like a month knowing that he was going to be on my orals board. And it kind of sucked. He like interrupted me all the time when I was like, 
like talking and like, I don't know, it just made me feel really stupid. And I had to like mentally prepare myself for that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's no fun. Yeah. I mean, at least maybe it would make you, you know, be like, all right, I'm going to like put a hundred percent into making this as like watertight as I possibly can. But still yeah. no fun to, yeah, have someone, you know, you, people who are going to poke holes in yeah, the most watertight of He's definitely, like, he was of one of papers. those people where, like, I know he was reading, not to, like, really understand, but, like, reading to find things wrong with it. Yeah. Um, which is, like, if you're reading something and you're trying to understand it and you find things wrong, that's one thing. But if you're, like, reading something for the sole purpose of, like, oh I'm finding things, I can, like harass you about (laughs) isn't there some kind of quote as well that's like seek first to like understand or something yeah what ended up being like the outcome of your project like whether it's just like you're seeing the world in a new way or or like something that you would want to like keep working on after graduation maybe Mm, yeah as for like working things working on this after graduation I really cannot say for sure. Meg was mm-hmm. really encouraging me to do that because oh, cool. I mean, my thesis ended up being like 86 pages or so. Wow. And honestly, like I could have written like triple that wow. if I had the time. Yeah. Like there's just so much to write on it. And it's up and coming to write about restorative justice. And especially in philosophy, it's like mm-hmm. talking about restorative justice and talking about anger and honestly just the criminal justice system in general Mm -hmm. it's becoming pretty popular to write about I I don't really plan on writing more right Mm -hmm. now but it did really solidify a lot of things for me Mm -hmm. I uh this past summer I had an internship Mm -hmm. at the juvenile detention center and I was like uh ahead of a payback program that they had Mm -hmm. where kids who were on parole could earn back money to pay the restitution and they did it through gardening and learning about restorative justice and just like connecting oh, with nature that's really and everything. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what really made me become interested in it. Mm-hmm. And I just like this past semester after that internship, it just became more and more of an interest for me. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So is this something you think you'd want to maybe do in the future or like be working or like formally or informally in that area? Yeah. So kind of, I am planning on getting my social work degree after I get out of here. Yeah. So I worked with a lot of social workers at the juvenile detention center Mm -hmm. and I do specifically also want to work with teenagers. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, kind of, I think it'll be like a byproduct of me becoming a social worker for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I it did. It did like really inform a lot of my future decisions as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like while you were writing your thesis and like kind of going through this process, did it, you know, push you closer to this, this kind of idea of being a social worker, maybe give you like a different perspective on like the part that this this idea of restorative justice might play in your life? Yeah, for sure. I There's just such a big connection between social work and restorative justice in a lot of ways, especially when you're working with teenagers. Mm-hmm. I talked a little bit about teenagers and also the school to prison pipeline that happens and how a lot of it can be avoided mm-hmm. through using restorative justice in schools instead mm-hmm. of, you know, punitive punishment that's used quite a lot. So I, I 
I did write about that a lot. And I think as a social worker in the future, I do want to like work in schools and work to implement those sort of things to, yeah, I mean, just to avoid the really horrible things that happen to kids when they're taken out of classrooms and punished like punitively for things that most of the time it's like a teenagers do things, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we've all been teenagers as well. Like, it's not like anyone's like, oh yeah, I never ever would have, you know, even considered doing these things. It's like, we've all been teenagers. We know what it's like. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like getting rid of also just like zero tolerance policies Mm. and things like that, which just... Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's, I don't have the statistic on me, but there's like a really big percentage of kids who, even when they get like Mm -hmm. suspended once from school, they're like eight times more likely to end up maybe like arrested or in trouble with like the law in some sort of way. That's so that, I mean, I'm not surprised, but it's such a disappointing statistic to have. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we definitely need more people working in that field and like making a difference. So kudos for that. (laughs) Thank you. To kind of like wrap up the interview, I was wondering, do you have any advice to people who are maybe like starting off their read journey or getting into philosophy? Okay, I would say the very first thing is I know there's a restorative justice group at Reed now. I don't know when they started. Maybe it was like last year or a couple years ago. But I would say get your professors to be really excited about that because it's really exciting. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially, I mean... You know, when plagiarism happens or like the Mm -hmm. honor principle, you know, you like copy homework or something. Yeah. I mean, it was just like ridiculous the way that Reed handled it in the past. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you know, plagiarism bad. Of course it is. But instead of punishing, maybe look at why students feel like they need to plagiarize in the first place. Yep. And, you know, just do things to make the environment better to where they don't feel like they have to do that. Yeah. To like succeed (laughs) or, or, you know, yeah. Or they're so even make it through the semester. Exactly. Yeah. They're so like swamped from all this work and it's like, well, maybe Mm -hmm. assign less work and kids won't do that anymore. And I'd say, yeah, I mean, get your professors excited about that. I know I got my Mm -hmm thesis advisor really excited about that get involved with that it's a really good group to have on campus so I say that was like the big thing and I mean as for just getting through read yeah that's a tough one (laughs) (laughs) um well, you made it there in the end, so it is possible. Yeah, no, it is. <laughs> it does happen. I, I would, Sometimes that's the most important thing to remember. Yeah. Okay. Honestly, I would say having friends and things outside of Reed mm. is very um, important. I I did a lot better once I like got off campus and I made more non-Reed friends. Yeah. I would say, you know, try that. Try that out. It's great if you don't want to and if you have... Dip your toes yeah, in. I mean, yeah. there's like a whole other city out there. Right, you know, <laughs> right outside your door. So go do that. Yeah, it's so easy to get caught up in like the little read bubble and forget that we're in like a pretty exactly. cool place to be, especially if you get out of Woodstock every now and then. Yeah. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Louise, for coming on our little podcast. It's been a great time chatting with you about your thesis. And I'm really looking forward to like hearing more about what you're going out into the world and doing like based on the the research you've been doing. Yeah. So thanks a ton. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much, Louise. 
Digging into Aristotle and the scholars who have done work on him is an arduous but oft-rewarding task. It seems like you got a thing or two out of it. We're excited to see where it takes you. I hope you'll join us again to hear more from students and alumni about what it means to burn your draft. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe, check out our Twitter and Facebook pages, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Burn Your Draft is a production of Reed College and the Center for Life Beyond Reed, created jointly by students, alumni, and staff. This episode was produced and engineered by me, Reed College student Albert Corellis. Your lovely host today was Reed student Amelie Andreas. Our executive producer is Seth Paskin, class of 1990, with technical advising from Joe Janiga. Our project manager is Nate Martin, staff member in class of 2016. Music by Jack Salvucci, class of 2020, and podcast art by alumni Henry Gotchlik and Lillian Pham. This podcast was made possible by a gift from Seth Paskin.